Welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a bi-weekly podcast examining best-in-class examples of branding, strategy, content, and technology in legal marketing. Each episode is devoted to a successful initiative, an innovative campaign, a promising technology, or an effective proven strategy for developing new business at firms ranging from the largest international firm down to solo attorneys. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Vic Rajan of phoneblogger.net. Many law firms and CPA firms grow their clientele through word-of-mouth referrals, but are too busy to market their expertise. Vic co-founded phoneblogger.net to ghostwrite blog articles in his client's voice, promote via LinkedIn, social media, and email newsletters. Vic has presented on behalf of every major bar association in the greater New York City area. His 2008 book, 365 Marketing Thumb Rules, Daily Reminders for Rainmakers, received praise from leaders within the legal, accounting, financial services, and real estate professions. In 2005, Vic was named a Top 40 Under 40 Rising Star by Long Island Business News. And I'm delighted to have Vic with me here today. Uh, Vic, welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio. Thank you, Michael. I'm looking forward to this. So a couple of weeks ago, you started, uh, excuse me, you wrote a a blog post, uh, the Maestro Post. Mm -hmm. So you laid out a handy uh, set of seven ways to think about uh, content marketing. Sure. So I wanted to kind of go through those, uh, starting with mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the correct mindset when an attorney is going to go into uh, content marketing, whether it's blogging or podcasting or whatever it else is they're doing. Sure, and I would include photography as part of their content marketing since it uh, really further explores their personal brand. Um, the mindset, of course, co- boils down to them being perceived as a subject matter expert. There are uh, specific attorney advertising rules that prohibit attorneys from specifically claiming themselves as an expert or a specialist. However, notwithstanding, nonetheless, content marketing helps establish a professional as a subject matter expert. And that's first and foremost the mindset most people uh, think of uh, when they start content marketing. However, I would actually go further and beyond being a subject matter expert is looking at content marketing as a surrogate to who they are and them being in the room, and thus a surrogate for their online networking and other forms of word of mouth referrals, so that in lieu of handing a business card to someone, uh, a referral relationship is handing a piece of content, be it an article, a photograph, a headshot, video, etc. It's a piece of content that's in place of, in surrogate of them. And that's the mindset, that this is representing them uh, instead of them being in the room. Great. Uh, the second part of it was alignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, an alignment I think of as several different ways we could think of this. Um, part of that is how do you align the content marketing with your overall strategy? Sure. Uh, but partly, how do you align your efforts to your goals within content marketing? Could you speak to that? Sure, I think you nailed it, that alignment means a lot of different things to a lot of different people and also is different in different contexts. And alignment originally in the MAESTRO acronym is really... Uh, Think of it as a prioritization and understanding what comes first. In a, in a greater sense of it, understanding that their practice, their firm, their business should be in alignment to achieve their uh, personal goals, um, to achieve what they want in life and for a family. And that can get somewhat esoteric and heady, but that is really the bigger picture, the vision of what they're doing or else content marketing just becomes a lot of words on paper and filler. And it should be in alignment with their overall strategic vision and priorities. In a more, let's say, practical or down-to-earth perspective, alignment should be exactly that, is, uh, is goal-oriented, so that it's um, understanding to achieve specific objectives 
uh, so that again it's not filler or else that's what uh, alignment avoids is just doing something by road or by habit without understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Before we move to the the E in Maestro, what are some of those, what are some reasonable goals that, that, that might be aligned with content marketing that or that you can align the content marketing to? Sure. I think first and foremost, uh, you know, content marketing very often by larger agencies and even larger firms is very often put into a bucket of branding. It's uh, one of those uh, five cent, 20 cent words that gets misunderstood. But for the average practitioner, small boutique firm, two partner, three partner firm, even a solo practitioner, content marketing, um, ultimately for them, they wanted to generate new business and new clients, new uh, retainers. And from that aspect, you know, it's difficult to talk about specific goals of what that should be. Um, and it's hard to sometimes measure directly. However, those measurable goals, very often content marketing is uh, helping them with their hits and clicks on their website in a very uh, tactical, uh, measurable way, which is very often what people are looking at in terms of reports. And as uh, impossible to measure uh, the word of branding, and that's being incorrect. The other extreme of only focusing on the hits and clicks is also uh, an extreme that I would discourage. And rather, there's a healthy in-between where it's more anecdotal, so it's harder to measure, but it is understanding that people are speaking about them, whether they like it or not, and hopefully in good ways, and hopefully they're using the content to speak about uh, them as the client, the, the lawyer. And that, f uh, in that sense, um, hits and clicks is one way of measuring. Um, but then the anecdotal of blog comments, LinkedIn comments, uh, comments at conferences and networking groups, those are all things that one could measure. It's just more tedious to measure. It's actually a better measure, a better aim. And then, of course, uh, our clients, we recommend them to ask those who come into their office or call them up for them to ask specifically, by the way, did you get a chance to read anything on our website? Or they could say, did you read anything on our blog? Um, and to wait for that answer. Sometimes the answer is no, um, but hopefully that answer is really not yet. And now they're prompting someone to essentially go to their website and essentially reaffirm that they've made the right choice by retaining counsel uh, of that firm. And thus the content marketing has again done its job. Uh, so moving to the E, education. Mm -hmm. uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? In, in, is that you know, educating yourself in terms of what your clients are interested in? Is that finding out what you need to know in order to make this work? Or is that simply educating yourself in a, a more technical way for the background of, of making this work for, for, for an attorney? Sure. Education really, in the purity of the maestro acronym, is really referring to being educated as a maestro of your own practice. You know, Michael Gerber of the E-Myth fame very often uh, is credited for saying work on your business or work on your practice rather than in your business or practice. And that concept is really understanding how to be a CEO of your own practice and thus the maestro and not one of the instrumentalists, the musicians as it were. And taking a step back, sharpening the saw of Stephen Covey fame, all those aspects of understanding of education of what your role is uh, beyond being a practitioner as an attorney, your role at the firm is not only business development, but visioning. And that's really what education points to. However, it can be interpreted that it's understanding other technical skills. Uh, for example, having or learning the technical skills of marketing and business development is education that uh, is beyond uh, what they learn in law school. And then, of course, there's the education aspect of them being a practitioner, but that's usually covered by the, their CLEs. Uh, the next one, again, 
doesn't apply directly to content marketing or to marketing and strategy generally. I'm thinking of this a bit obliquely to where you it meant it in the post. Sure. Uh, but having done content marketing myself, having written several blogs, um, I can tell you that it's challenging. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure. And I, I know I, when I speak to clients, when I speak to attorneys, uh, either at networking events or people I'm working with, finding a way to make content marketing work and to really produce content over time is a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so I took this as what systems need to be in place sure. that, that you can maintain over time output of content because otherwise sure. content marketing doesn't work. Blogging doesn't work. If, if, you know, podcasting doesn't work if it's every three months yeah, you know, and then trails off. Uh, for some reason or another, you know, I went to the gym uh, in 2015, and for some reason, I'm still overweight. I, I, I don't quite understand why when I just went to the gym that one time, I didn't magically get into shape. And very often, people treat content marketing that way. They wrote a article, that is true, and now they have done content marketing. They check off the box, and they move on. They've done a video, great. They, uh, uh, they, they did one piece of content marketing, and um, sarcasm aside, I think most people understand by common sense that... Um, these are um, not events that should be taken place isolated, but rather habits, and it's a continuous marketing effort. So in that sense, uh, systems does speak to exactly what you're talking about, doing something systematically, having a process so that it can be repeated and developed into a habit. Uh, there is another aspect, however, uh, again, maestro can be seen as sometimes very heady, but systems really refers to uh, not only something that's systematic, but systemic. And the concept of systems thinking really uh, is, can be summed up in the colloquialism, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, very often we are swimming in the sum of parts, swimming in the parts, and not realize how the parts are integrated to create um, that greater network effect, that greater effect that cannot be achieved by parts alone. Uh, the parts of a, of a human body alone does not create a human. The parts uh, of a car itself really amounts to a couple hundred dollars, but with the proper engineering, those parts come together and create a vehicle that can really take us far, to extend the metaphor. And in the same sense, content marketing uh, is part of a larger picture. Itself, content marketing, there are a variety of parts of content, and how they fit together uh, is a ricochet effect, a greater whole uh, effect, that is wonderful and amazing. Uh, and we can go into a lot of detail in terms of how one piece of content can lead to another as a stepladder approach, ultimately leading to retainers and client development. But it's also how it can be done systematically. So again, uh, in the maestro world, it's not only 10,000 feet uh, of uh, heady intellectualism, but it's also from a very practical standpoint of systems thinking of how is this one piece gonna be repeated over and over again so that we are developing a content marketing strategy and process. Uh, but also, how does this one piece of content fit into the greater so that there is a, uh, a greater output, uh, a bigger than just this? Uh, now, part of that, you're, in terms of building a system, uh, you know, content marketing isn't the system, mm -hmm. right? Writing Correct. a blog post isn't the system. It's not the system. What are some other things that have to go into that that, that either feed the, content mar that feed the content or that the content can feed? Uh, does that make sense? Sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> of course it does, Michael. Uh, but but I, I say first and foremost, it's um, it's not them being a lawyer; it's them being distinguished and and somewhat of repute to have a reputation, and that's way more important because very often 
that attorney, he or she is being recommended for who they are, not just what they do. Uh, what they do of practicing law is relatively generic and thus commoditized, which is why, unfortunately, in the world of legal marketing, uh, we, we find a proliferation of a lot of these uh, online networks and um, shopping around. So what used to be the Yellow Pages has now been replaced by Google and now being even further replaced by these uh, online networks and other business development tools where you can uh, get proposals from lawyers and you can review and rate lawyers. And while they have some value from a consumer standpoint, it's extremely detrimental for an attorney who's extremely distinguished with his or her level of expertise and experience. Uh, from that aspect, uh, that's the whole point of content marketing is to bring out that. It's not actually bringing out how much law they know. Um, they can't do that in a blog post, quite frankly. Um, you know, the, the, the codes and laws are written um, such that it can be somewhat convoluted, somewhat uh, confusing and, and open to interpretation. That's the, the fun and beautiful aspect of, of practicing as an attorney. However, they need to bring out who they are, which is why um, we tend to focus blog articles that bring out personality and bring out values and bring out um, who they are as a person beyond who they are as a practitioner. Uh, I'm going to skip technology for the moment because the next one is is relationships, uh, and I th I think that's where you're starting to where we're heading towards in the conversation is is how do we use this tool to build relationships, right? Uh, and how do we build relationships online, and how do we build relationships in the real world? Because at a certain point, that's where business is going to happen. Yep. LinkedIn's motto, at least it was at one point, hopefully it still is, uh, is quoted to be "Relationships matter." not how can I spam everyone in my Rolodex. And very often I, I get questioned when, uh, as a phone blogger client, we're setting up a LinkedIn profile or a LinkedIn uh, contact list for our clients. Their biggest fear of uploading their contact list is, oh, you know, I, I'm really, I don't want someone finding all the contacts that I have and suddenly spamming all the 200, 500 people that I'm connected to or poaching all my clients that I'm uploading. And I say, no, no, don't worry about it. LinkedIn's not built that way. It's purposely guarding against spamming. And there are technological ways that it prevents that. Um, so don't be afraid. Plus, no one knows if that person is a client of yours or your brother-in-law. Furthermore, if you're that afraid of someone poaching a client that easily, well, you have a bigger issue on your hand. It's not LinkedIn's fault. You know, there's a, a client service issue that's more systemic, again, going back to systems. And then the irony is very often those same people, the next week after they're all set up, they go, great, you know, I stumbled upon a, a peer, a competitor here, and I see he's connected to these 200 people that I want to talk to. Is there a way for me to send an email to all those 200 people? And I go, no, no, last week you were afraid of you being uh, spammed uh, or your contacts being spammed. And likewise, uh, uh, goose and gander, you can't spam other people's contacts either. Relationships matter. It's a one to one tool. Uh, LinkedIn has certain levels of efficiencies. However, uh, effectiveness and efficiency are usually at diametric odds. What is very often efficient of spam is ineffective because we all delete it. It's not about sending an email newsletter to the 2,000 people that you could f somehow find in your Rolodex or Outlook, but rather it's the 50 people last year that recommended a client to you. And if every one of those people recommended one more client to you, you've just doubled your referrals. If every one of your client can bring you one more client, you've just doubled your business. That 50 clients can turn into 100, 200, 400, 800, 1,600, 3,200, 64, and now I've lost my math. But that doubling process is doable. 
it's the doubling a penny a day in uh, analogy or math. So from that aspect, relationships matter. It can happen one-to-one, not always efficiently and somewhat messily, um, but it's worth it because it's people. It's the lifeblood of your practice. So the last, last letter in Maestro, uh, ongoing innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to come back to this later because I want to talk about where you see technology going in the next, say, five years. You know, mm-hmm. What do attorneys need to have on their mind uh, in terms of their marketing, in terms of their web presence uh, sure. for, for the not-too-distant future? Yeah. Um, but for the moment, uh, I wanted to go back to metrics a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what, are some of the, what are the things that your successful clients are doing to measure the right things and to keep themselves aligned with those those metrics that are important to them you know we we gravitate as marketeers and as entrepreneurs practitioners of firms to the reports of the hits and clicks the black and white and the red and black it's not wrong in fact we have to look at that because uh if we don't measure, how can we improve? And what we measure, we tend to improve. So we need to measure from hits and clicks. However, it's more important, and my successful clients tend to look at more the anecdotal evidence. It's a little bit more touchy-feely because it's hard to sometimes measure, as I mentioned before, but it's those comments that they're receiving on their blogs, on their LinkedIn, on their email newsletters, and moreover, the comments they are making uh, proactively to other people's articles, uh, which uh, while we can't do for them at Phone Blogger, our clients have to do on their own. It's measuring um, what they are doing unto others that they would like to have done unto them. And from that golden rule aspect of marketing is measurable. It's a habit that can be developed. Um, you know, there are concepts of, of lead indicators and lag indicators, and lead indicators very often are the habits, the actions that you are putting toward, and measuring that versus measuring the results. Again, using the fitness analogy, it's not uh, always looking at the scale of, of weight loss or fat loss, um, but rather measuring the habits that you're developing, and that uh, sometimes going on a little bit of faith, but it's really believing, knowing that if you do these certain actions, be it a uh, X minutes on the treadmill at X inclination, um, push-ups, sit-ups, burpees, what have you, knowing that the results will happen. Maybe not one-to-one, but it does happen because it cannot but happen. And likewise, with content marketing, you cannot but be perceived as an expert as you're sharing expertise. You can't help but uh, develop relationships as you are bringing in other people into your blogs and content marketing, case in point with this podcast. Now, how might some of these metrics or how might some of these... uh the, the building blocks of the strategy, you know, how might, how does this differ between some of your clients that are larger firms, say 10 or 20 attorneys versus mm-hmm. a solo attorney? Is there a way to look at these differently or is it going to be pretty similar? Very often it is actually similar. You know, what a bodybuilder does and what I do is going to ultimately be very similar. You know, what a celebrity chef does in the kitchen and what you do in the kitchen is ultimately relatively similar. The finesse is obviously different. Um, and the nuance are different, but it's not the finesse and the nuance that are important right away. You know, knife skills are knife skills, push-ups are push-ups. Um, while quantity and quality have to be measured, very often we get too enamored or too uh, caught up in perfection of the nuance, and we don't get started and we don't keep doing it. You'll improve as you keep doing it. The whole point is to start doing it. Um, so for, with that said, however, a larger firm 
usually have uh, greater resources, greater budget that they can throw at this, and and need not always be money budget. It's a time budget as well. They have more people, so they're able to bring in multiple partners as authors on their blog. They're able to engage their staff to be uh, authors on the blog or uh, develop a podcast with multiple people within their firm. So they have greater resources, human resources, in addition to financial ones. So from that aspect, um, they can measure those, uh, that aspect. They have usually a larger client base. They, they have a greater number of strategic alliances that they can bring in, in terms of their cross-promotion and co-blogging, et cetera. So from that aspect, there is a difference between the larger and the smaller. However, the smaller can very often replicate. Uh, it, it, there's a little bit of David versus Goliath, but uh, we know who won ultimately. Uh, so in doing this, is there, what's the, you know, when people are starting out and they're trying to figure out what those those, those first steps are, what is the minimum level of engagement that someone's going to have to do, uh, not necessarily to see results, but at least to build the habit of, of putting the system in place? I believe the output need not be weekly, meaning it need not be a weekly blog article or weekly video or podcast, but there should be a weekly habit. And that can be uh, broken into a content calendar, what we call a publishing schedule. But there's something that you're doing every week so that in that half an hour to an hour a week, which is doable, can result into a lot. Uh, it begins, I believe, in brainstorming and developing a content calendar. In fact, we have a brainstorming tool for our clients that anyone could use at blogbrainstormer.com. And if you go to blogbrainstormer.com, it's a very handy way of developing a series of article ideas or article, uh, pardon, ideas for videos or podcasts or whatever. It could be a variety of multimedia content, need not only be text articles. But by mapping those article ideas in the beginning, thematically across a year, uh, maybe uh, the theme for the month, and then specific article topics or titles, that amount of work uh, being done in the forefront alleviates a lot of the frustration or the haphazardness that happens or very often is an obstacle of keeping up the habit because it's then, what are we going to blog about this week? Or uh, do you have an idea? I don't have an idea. Maybe we should, oh, we'll just do it next week. Oh, I'm really busy this week because we, you know, we're you know, we embroiled in this case and we got to win this for our clients. So you know what? This is just not the time for us right now. And these are all the legitimate reasons, maybe excuses, but legitimate reasons why people don't maintain the habit of content marketing. But if you do a little bit of uh, groundwork uh, to begin with, you can keep it up. And so from that aspect, that's the place to start is map it out so that you know what you're doing with a half an hour to an hour uh, a week and then actually getting it done systematically with all the other maestro principles. Uh, well, you've, uh, you've skipped ahead to my next question. I was going to ask what some of the challenges are that prevent people from doing this, from, from putting that time in, uh, and what some, some solutions are. Uh, clearly, you guys, you've seen these challenges mm -hmm. crop up and you've yep. built tools uh, to help fix them. Yep. Um, so I'm going to actually skip ahead and ask if you've got a, a, a particular success story, uh, an, an attorney or a firm who has engaged actively uh, and seen not just measurable results on their dashboard, uh, but measurable results in, in new business closed. You know, luckily with our clients, uh, because they re-up every month, uh, they're continuously uh, proving the value of phone blogger to themselves. And the value, of course, as we talked about, in some ways are the hits and clicks, but really it's getting new clients ultimately. 
as well as the positioning and branding being perceived in the marketplace really is being perceived by referral relationships. It's hard to kind of disclose private information of any one success story. However, um, part of their blog and their email newsletter, their uh, LinkedIn and other online media, we also have a website called recommendedauthors.com. And that's a place where we showcase all of our clients and really introduce our clients to one another to develop referral relationships among each other. It's a way for them to also have article ideas for, their, for one another. So anyone could go to recommendedauthors.com and actually kind of see the success happening in front of them. It's kind of uh, the end of the cooking show when we take out the lasagna out of the oven. It's, it's baked and fully delicious. And you can see the result of it. Of, and you'll see the names appearing over and over again. Well, that's a showcase of their habits. Uh, you'll see uh, when you click into the articles, you'll go back to their website and you'll see how their each article is constructed to be eye-catchy, word-of-mouth friendly. may not be so obvious how it's search engine optimized uh, without a little bit of knowledge. However, you'll see um, patterns of success of each article of how we use bold statements, bullet points, calls to action, other links. And very often you'll see the success being showcased where our clients are bringing in other people, which I've alluded to earlier in the podcast, but I'll I'll make specific mention. It's not about the content that you produce on your own. Michael, congratulations on on this podcast, because it's really about bringing in other people and cross-referencing your VIP referral relationships in your content as a way of appreciating those relationships. In a sense, literally appreciating them by thanking them, but appreciating in the more intellectual sense of increasing the value of that relationship, uh, building brand equity in a more uh, marketing buzzword perspective. And by appreciating your relationships, you've... uh, uh, invested into those relationships that have either already bore fruit for you, they've given you referrals, or those that you want to get to know and those you want to uh, develop relationships with. So from that aspect, your blog is not meant to be just uh, your way of uh, being in front of a microphone, literally or figuratively, but rather creating a stage for others. Uh, So from that aspect, you'll see that success at Recommended Authors and kind of see how other people are interviewing others and quoting others and co-blogging, guest blogging, et cetera. So I want to move now to talking a bit about Phone Blogger itself because Mm -hmm. you provide something unique Mm -hmm. uh, in in this space. Not only do you have a whole sort of universe or a whole constellation of of different avenues to help people reach others, um, but you're... Your basic premise is that attorneys are busy mm-hmm. uh, and that through a brief phone call monthly or a couple times a month, you can pull that content and help them write. And not only are they going to save time by having you do the writing, but you're also going to be able to write in their voice, but in a way that's very uh, not only SEO optimized, but friendly for the readers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of web, you know, attorneys sites that I've gone to the writing is dense, it's complex, uh, it runs multiple pages, and it's, it's not geared towards something that I can read. Other attorneys might read, but depending upon what people's practice is, that content needs to be accessible. And sure. you help make that happen. Maybe just speak a little bit about you know, phone bloggers' process and the systems that you use. Sure. Um, that being said, it does depend on the area of law. You know, an SEC attorney, for example, is speaking to a more sophisticated audience. But let's say an uh, immigration attorney or a family law attorney is uh, probably speaking to uh, someone who needs simpler language to understand. So from that aspect, phone blogger kind of suits any type of attorney. 
where they are, like what you said, Michael, too busy to keep up with the habit of content marketing, but recognize and realize that in order to maintain a steady flow of referrals and recommendations, they need to be remembered and stay top of mind. And how can they do so if they don't even have the time to think of article ideas, let alone write it, and then edit it and optimize it, whatever that means, and then add a copyright approved image, because we shouldn't just be stealing images off Google. And then how do we get it onto a website blog and add all the HTML code, and nowadays there's CSS involved, and then we have to think of the other TLAs, the three-letter acronyms of SEO, SEM, and get it onto the four parts of LinkedIn, and not only LinkedIn, but Facebook, Twitter, whatever Google Plus is nowadays. Moreover, there's the uh, bar associations that have online networks and other legal networks that become content marketing channels. And all this can be very time-consuming, frustrating, and involved. And if you miss a beat, you're, you know, it's, you, you can hurt yourself. It's kind of doing the push-ups the wrong way. You could actually be in more trouble and, and, and ruin the habit altogether. So we take all of that nonsense out of the equation and boil it down to a simple phone call. So we interview our clients over the telephone, much like this, very conversationally, casually, but privately so that our clients can be off the cuff and uh, be rest assured that not everything's going to make it in the article because it's confidential. So they can make references to client names, et cetera, because we're not going to use it in, um, in the article and it's, it's purposely kept between them and their dedicated editor. And that five-minute phone call, literally a five- to seven-minute phone call, becomes a three- or four-minute article that someone can read. Someone can read a, a, about a 400-word article in about three or four minutes. So essentially, phone blogging boils down to a weekly phone call. First week, our clients record the article. Then the following week, we read the article with our clients because they are the author. We want to make sure that it's their personality and expertise that comes through and stays within the attorney advertising rules. With their approval, that's when we publish the article on their blog, promote it through social media, and then sandwich the articles into a monthly email newsletter. So I'm just going to have a final question here. You, you just noticed, noted this, uh, and I, I know that you noted at the beginning of every single blog post that I've seen you write, uh, how long does it take to read this article? Mm-hmm. Um, not every author does that, sure. but you do. Why do you do that? What is the, I mean, there's a reason, because I don't know you to do anything without reason. So what's the reason for doing that? We call that a timestamp, for lack of a better phrase. And and when you go to recommendedauthors.com, you'll see the vast majority of our clients have opted into the timestamping. Those uh, who find, for whatever reason, they don't want to have how short and how quickly someone could read that article, um, they can opt out and that's their choice. It's their article. They're the author. Uh, however, the, the whole impetus is to remind someone to say that this article is very quick to read, that it uh, what can look long is actually rather short, and it only takes three minutes to read, and someone can have three minutes in between a phone call or while they're on hold or while they're waiting for their next client to come, and we want to make it as easy as possible for someone to dive into an article, be it just skimming the subheadings or the bullet points or the bold phrases or knowing with, before getting involved into something that sounds complicated that you can read this article within three minutes. Or that you can read this article within nine minutes and know that it takes a little bit of more effort to, to read the article, but you know what? It's going to be worth it. Or a little more in-depth a little bit. Sure. Uh, well, Vic, thanks so much for speaking with me Thank today. I really appreciate this. Um, and I know that we've only gotten into the very surface of all of this stuff and what you do and what you can provide. Um, so hopefully uh, folks who are looking for this will will give you a shout over at phoneblogger.net or an email since it's online. It's pretty simple. Thank pretty you. Pretty straightforward. Uh, so Vikra John, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. Uh, the Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business. 
The theme music was composed by Ryan Knock of Knock It Out Music. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio, please subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. Extended content, including photographs and links, can be found on our website, legalmarketing.studio. Thank you.